You're listening to the Irish Times. It's finally here, Gav. It's All Blacks Week. Are you excited? Started last night. Uh, you started it last night. Yeah, it was great though. Uh, we got like an email in the middle of Sunday afternoon saying uh, Steve Hansen has not done his regular 11 a.m. post-match London presser. He switched it to 6 p.m. Dublin, and we we're all thinking, "Oh yeah, he's he's done that because he's going to move on." And sure enough, not like 90 seconds into him sitting in front of us out in the Crown Plaza Hotel in Blanchardstown, because the Republic of Ireland team have nicked their Castlenock Hotel, their regular uh, place. That's why they were out in the Blanche. Um, uh, Hanson turns around and goes, um, Conor Murray's going to play. Not a, There was no question about it. He just throws it out there onto the ground. <laughs> and we were like, well, that's why he didn't have the press conference in London because he's moved on past uh, he Sam didn't Underhill's want try. Yes. And he's, he's, gone, he's, he's an extremely clever media operator. He goes, I'm going to control the narrative. I'm going to put the heat on Joe Schmidt straight away. And Joe Schmidt's just not going to do anything, obviously, because he never does until Thursday. Mm. But he has really stood it down and... Uh, there's a great quote from a great little soundbite about how he just puts all the daring Conor Murray to play. We can actually listen to it. I'm not saying that to, to cause any stir any trouble. I just, I just think he's he's a real competitor. He'll want to play, and uh, you know if he's if he's got a chance, then I'm thinking he'll probably play. If it's one of our guys in the same boat, then they'd be putting their hand up to play. See what I mean? If it was one of my boys, uh, if it was if it was an All Black, he'd play. Like, yeah. So the subtext being, you lads, you, you lads, you need Conor Murray. Yeah, he's just look. He does it for a bit of fun, but also he does it because he's trying to control the narrative. The and Irish team and to annoy Joe. Yeah, definitely to annoy Joe. Hundred percent. Like, but uh, he, he, the uh, Irish media, the rugby media, don't really do this. They don't the communications thing. They don't try to control the narrative. Sometimes they do. But well, I, they control it through secrecy more more than anything. They don't try and control it through. Yeah you know, the release of, the slow release of information. Hansen always gets out in front of things. If there's an injury, if there's something, he comes out and tells you. He tries to beat the questions, basically, what he does is. And then he just, that's what he's always done. It's the art of media management. Um, he's great. Also, and there was a few sloppy journalists got caught out last night. If you give him the option to give you a one-word answer, if you don't think about your question, he will just put you on your ass with a, yeah. Or a no, <laughs> but he clearly came to talk about Colonel Murray last night, and and he did at length. Just uh, explain for the uninitiated, including me, why will this annoy Joe? Um, well, what happens is now, um, I think they need if the Irish if the Irish rugby group don't say Conor Murray is out today because Joe because Joe Schmidt said it's I'm going to ask Conor Murray it's going to be his decision. Injury's not a problem. It's about whether he feels like he's mm. up to playing a test match against the All Blacks. Um, if they don't, if they don't, if they rule Conor Murray out, mm. which they should, they need to do straight away if he's not playing. But if they don't, it just runs and runs and runs and runs. And maybe who cares? Maybe the people down in Carton House don't doesn't bother them. Yeah. But you put and Joe spoken before about how Ian Madigan, um, when he, Johnny Sexton was injured coming to the World Cup quarter final, it was he'd no time to prepare, you know, because he wasn't. It was he said he said will he be playing? Will he not? So for the sake of Kieran Marmion, who could be injured, or Luke McGrath. Which, Probably not John Cooney, between the two lads. Uh, they need to know now today at training if they're playing, if they're wearing number nine against the All Blacks in the biggest game of their lives. So if that doesn't happen, Conor Murray's playing. You know? But either way, the narrative has been set. And it's been set with a visiting team. It's been set by the, mm. this big bandwagon that comes into town. He was so funny, Hanson, as well. He was basically said the exact same thing as Serena Williams said uh, before Wimbledon. He goes, 
yeah, um, Ireland will be yeah, they'll get better. They'll get ten percent better. Everyone gets ten percent better when they play against the All Blacks. Do you know why? Because it's a good story if you beat the All Blacks. <laughs> it's just, Serena Williams said exact same thing. He goes, every every girl I come up against goes up 20, 10, 15, 20 yeah. percent because it's me. You like it? You I think you like Steve Hansen. Oh yeah, like two thousand and fifteen World Cup. His pressers were it was theatre. He'd come in and he'd just put on a show. You know, every single time. Amazing for a guy in his position. Yeah. Like the guy, you know, he has the most important job in New Zealand in his country like he ought to be under the most pressure of anybody in his country he is, but yet he's, he's such a lugubrious guy yeah, he is but he's learned how to deal with the pressure and it's he learned out of being a failure in the Welsh job and being Graham Henry's number two for so long Amazon Prime made a lovely documentary about the All Blacks there um, last year and there's a bit where a lot of it is about is on Hanson you know a lot of it's on Ben Smith's concussion actually but a, a lot of it is focuses on Steve Hanson and there's one bit where they're in, him and his wife are in the back garden uh, nailing, stapling down a big tarp mm. and they flick to his wife and they're going well we have to do this because people will come and stare into our back garden Wow! she's like we don't really go out for dinner that much anymore you know because we can't really sit in the mm. restaurant and these they really do seem like uh, every everyday normal uh, Kiwis you know what I mean and they're just going yeah we kind of just have to stay at home so the pressure is and it could be in the post with Joe Schmidt the pressure is enormous when you're in that job it's bigger than being the England football manager in England yeah. it's bigger than because rugby just utterly dominates the landscape and the All Blacks and Hansen has learned Hansen plays it he, pl- he plays it so well all the time him. yeah he's very likeable for, for somebody in charge of such a dominant team he's quite a likeable guy yeah yeah he is he's very likeable and he again if you, don't, if you don't ask a stupid question he gives you a really in- intelligent answer he'll watch him he'll come back on the scene on Thursday morning and he'll, he'll, he'll throw something else at us again and he'll twist and turn he's driven Cheka and Eddie Jones mad over the years well he started the week beautifully because it is a fantastic week uh, building up to Saturday's game against the All Blacks uh, later on uh, today we'll be talking to Michael Walker and Emmett Malone about the 25th anniversary of the Windsor Park game between Northern Ireland and Ireland but uh, it is of course All Blacks week and we've assembled a crack team Jerry Thornley is in thanks for coming in Jerry Good morning Malky Gordon Darcy is on the line thanks for uh, tuning in with us Gordon Yep thanks for having me um, Argentina on Saturday Jerry mm-hmm. um, I don't know what the atmosphere around this is uh, uh, people seem to feel a little short changed by it mm. um, and yet probably not a bad way to be going into as big a game as this First and foremost, they won. That's mm. 10 home wins in a row, which is an Irish record. Far better, they go into camp in the Carton House today having won than having lost, number one. They had to dig it out, which is good too. It shows the team's character yet again, which we kind of yeah. take we kind of take for granted about this Irish team, that whenever they're in a tight squeeze, how they roll their sleeves up, get down and dirty and, take, and do whatever it takes to win. And they went back to plan A very much and just recycled, a lot of one-off runners, recycle, recycle, and just starved Argentina, just wore them down and just dominate possession and territory. And, and won by a comfy enough two scores in the end, despite looking very rusty, lacking cohesion for a lot of the game. So I would have thought that's almost ideal because it now gives Joe Schmidt plenty to work on uh, in the, on the training ground the next few days um, and plenty to be angry about and, with the, and plenty for the players themselves to be angry about in their own performances. So I would have thought that would be almost ideal. There's a few aspects to it that probably weren't ideal, namely that they're never going to get such a free ride at scrum time again. They got all three tries off their scrums and didn't generate one line break, as so far as I can remember, Gavin, the entire match apart from that. And Argentina actually played, you know, the sexier rugby, the more creative rugby, particularly that 10-12-13 combination. And I, but I still think, overall, they, they will play an awful lot better against the All Blacks next week, just because it's the All Blacks and because they've got plenty to work on. 
Yeah, uh, Gordon, we were the team kind of seems to be made in the image of James Ryan and Dan Levy now. I'd love to get your talks, your thoughts on how the team has developed. Obviously, Sean O'Brien's the disaster that is his comeback, and are we? See, you, you've talked to me about how we're really seeing a team that is the second best in the world challenging about to challenge the best in the world, which is very, which is uncharted territory for us. Yeah. Yeah, like I think you know, there's been a lot of. Uh, talk in this November series actually a lot more than in, in recent years and I did that is because it is uh, the last time the North and South Hemisphere have gone play each other before the World Cup so there's been a lot of uh, chat and see what um, the All Blacks were saying coming in saying the New Zealand game, the English game was bigger than the uh, than the Lions series mm. so everybody is everybody has been, been talking up these games and Ireland everybody is, everybody in Ireland is focused on the New Zealand game and I think that may be you know, I don't think any players will come out and say it because they'll probably be looking at back at themselves last week and going, you know, we were just a little bit off in that game. But that happens because, this, you know, those players were given a little bit of uh, leeway in that certain players were told they were playing one game, other players were told they were playing the second game, and that leads to a disjointed nature. And that's just the, that's just the, the, the way of it. And I'd echo uh, Jerry's points that the, uh, the, they won. Plan A wasn't working, so geez, we just roll up our sleeves and get stuck in, and we just win this because winning is 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 important. It's a habit, and uh, you know, getting that victory at home is going to be very very important for for next week. James Ryan, man of the man of the match, he's just incredible. Everything he touches just seems to turn to gold, and I think he plays the little interplay between him and Dan Levy. I think that's the benefit of having gone to school together and played together, and they're the same age, and they have definitely have the same. Um, outlook on rugby and that little interplay which was really really uh, prevalent last season um, hopefully we'll get the benefit of it next week when Levy starts but he was just monumental when he came on and it's this new group who are just fearless and I think um, Levy was actually a very very positive catalyst for the you know, so I suppose for the for the way the game played out um, I'm sure Sean O'Brien would have had his input into the game which is usually grab the game by the scruff of the neck and lift it five metres further down the field but uh, Levy's a little bit more um, subtle and I think him and, and, and Ryan do play well really they do play off each other very very well Jerry, you mentioned there the things that you know Joe will work on and they will want to work on and these sort of imperfections that, mm-hmm. that were in the performance. Something that kind of, kind of struck me, um, like they're a team that is known for a really low penalty count and yet they were given away like Odd sort of penalties, late hit penalties, a couple of uh, offside penalties. That that's sort of out of character for them. Yeah, it was only six penalties conceded. The twelve, mm. the penalty game was twelve six against Argentina. So Argentina were far more loose with their discipline, and they had a lot more cheap shots off the ball. Oh, how on how on earth was Lavanini stayed on the pitch? Certainly two, if not three. And this right. was after warnings. Great player though, anyway. Yeah, superb player. But how did he stay in the pitch? I don't know. But um, leaving that aside, I thought, yeah, the one for me that I thought was very un-Irish like was the Dan Levy one. When you're on the deck, you basically can't. You're out of the game. You can't do anything. And he kind of hand tripped Buffelli as he ran past him. And I, I could understand why he did it as an instinctive thing, but it's a very, it was a very un-Irish type penalties I think Ireland only gave away three penalties in Chicago and six last week when you got that kind of penalty count you've got a great chance of winning games the more the, the greater imperfections for me would have been the loose kicking from Johnny which was unusual and uh, we'll get on to the All Blacks later about how you have to be absolutely 100% on the money with your kicking and England largely were in Twickenham save for two mm. and the All Blacks should have scored two tries off them that that's lethal 
Um, so, so that would be the, yeah, and the line out the other ones the line out Ireland, Ireland's starter plays are 80% of the time I'd say line outs because there's so few scrums the game they don't counter attack uh, but the, you know even the multi-phase they generally come off line outs to begin with and uh, you know Ledesma did his homework there he, he knew this and he picked a third lock in the back row for the first time in his career Petit played in the back row and they did real damage to the Irish throw and the two players who probably gained most in the first hour weren't on the pitch <laughs> Rob Carney <laughs> and Devon Toner yeah yeah Dev Toner and Rob Carney are saying they had a great game today, yeah. didn't they because yeah. <laughs> they've I think they're gonna, I'd love to hear you on that as well Gordon I think Te- Dev and Rob certainly comes back but I think um, Dev, Dev as well. comes back yeah. in as well but more than anything the, the stakes are very similar to 2016 it's still the nastiest test match I've ever been at in my life when the All Blacks came here and Henshaw and Stander were forced into the same bin and Battle Pretoria just beats us you weren't there Gav oh yeah that was like in 98 yeah, yeah. That was, that was I was, special I was like repeating my leaving cert but the uh, uh, Darce what do you think about um, New Zealand don't like being challenged do they they don't, don't like their world their status as the best in the world being put under pressure and they normally react quite violently yeah like they're like they are greedy in, in, in that sense they like to share they don't like to share the limelight with anyone um, and England really put it up to them last week and I think this is it's a consistent theme that is beginning to emerge and let's you know put this all in, in, in the context New Zealand are still head and shoulders above everybody but the gap is definitely closing I don't think they would have seen England doing that uh, to them, but they got yeah. in among them and they made New Zealand um, put numbers into the rook. And that, like anything, we talk about the Ireland's game, time, game plan didn't work, or maybe a little, little loose kicking, or line out didn't function. If you can disrupt a team with a, with the let's call it the revenue source that they enjoy and build off of, they have to have to innovate and they have to think on their feet on the pitch. Just happens New Zealand are probably the better, best at that than anybody. But England got in, and they made them put numbers into rooks, so their back row, and that's usually a good indicator of New Zealand of where they are, how involved their back row are in the you know the the, the nuts and bolts of, of of rugby. And England put and England put it up to up to them, and that's that's the the challenge we have in there next week. But one of the cards that New Zealand always have in their hand is they can just go man for man and they can just start hitting people and you start picking people like Artie Sevilla you've got Sonny Bill Williams you, you know you can you can pick the names that you want in there that can just if Ireland are going to carry the ball and look for a possession based uh, team then New Zealand can go well actually let's not try and reinvent the wheel here let's do what we did we know it worked um, we'll match an attritional game with an attritionally defensive game Jerry, it was it was fascinating watching New Zealand have to dig out a game mm. on Saturday. You know, like a total, like obviously conditions apocalyptic and they all that sort of stuff. Clearly, you know, it, it seemed to to my untrained eye that the try uh, that Underhill scored uh, at the end should have been allowed. I, you can give me your opinion on that. But just to watch them dig that out with you know Brody Ritalik, uh dominating the English line and all that sort of stuff was really really they they're not. They're not just, it's it's not just circuses all the time. No. Um, I always thought that that South African defeat at home, the rugby championship would be uh, bad news to the rest of the world. Yeah, they've got to drop the bone bar, oh, drop the drop goal. goal. They've learned their lesson. <laughs> First drop That's goal of his All Blacks career. Yeah. And it won't be the last, I fear. Because if it's a tight World Cup semi-final or quarter-final or final, you can be damn sure he'll take another one. Um, they've learned their lessons now. Dan Carter didn't have any problem compunction about taking drop goals to steer them out of the tricky water in the semi-final and the final of the last World Cup. That's one lesson they've learned. But yeah, I thought that they, they ground their way back into the game with what the, another aspect of the play they do very well. And they showed that in the first test against the Lions was they uh, they can pick and go and they come off hard off Aaron Smith and they'll keep recycling, they'll put you in the back foot and they'll take your line speed away and they worked their way back in the game and before they got their try you could see 
that they were coming back into it. And um, then, OK, Farrell's restart goes out in the full or whatever, and that gives them the chance to go back down the field and get another three points just before halftime. You somehow felt from that moment they were always just going to do it. I actually, it's like, I could see Gav not in agreement with you that he, you both thought the last try should have been allowed. I didn't. Is that right? No, okay. I, I thought at first, oh, no, that's definitely a try. And then when you saw it in the second, they showed the two angles, similar angles, one far away and it looks like Laws might be just on side and then you look at the second angle and I remember saying the time, I was watching the game with my sister, technically that's half a metre offside to a metre offside okay. this could be disallowed, despite what Stuart Barnes is saying. So I personally think, it was a tough call in England, but I think technically probably correct. It shows that New Zealand were a little bit lucky. These tight games that often are, the previous week, England got lucky with the own Farrell tackle. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I'm glad, for the sake of this game next Saturday, for two reasons that uh, England, uh, that the All Blacks beat England. Number one, it just sets up next Saturday so much better. And uh, number two, actually, it would also stop the All Blacks from being in an even meaner mood than they were <laughs> the Aviva two years ago. And most of all, actually, number three, I thought of another one. The English media would have been unbearable if they'd won the game. <laughs> yeah, I think, we're, I think we can get the nastiness again from Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. What do you remember of that game, uh, Gordon, from the, the, the one when they came to Dublin looking for revenge? Um, just the, I suppose the single-mindedness of it and that's pretty much what it was it was it, it was a win at all costs it was like a World Cup final and New Zealand probably haven't been in a position like that for, for quite a long time but it does show it's an interesting reaction as well because they weren't composed and mm. I think that is for me is the difference with this team and say you know the, the McCall and Carter led New Zealand of uh, you know the previous of the, up until the last kind of decade or last 15 years so when England put it to them, they weren't composed again. When mm. South Africa put it to them, they weren't composed. When Ireland beat them, they weren't composed. And they, so they're not used to having to play their way out. And I think that's a, an inherent weakness in the in, in the New Zealand team. Um, but it's only a weakness if you can get them into that uh, mindset. I think Ireland can, um, and, they ha- and they have to. I don't think the incumbents in 10 and 15 steer the game in the way that um, I suppose New Zealand may have taken for granted. And again, a, a perceived weakness if you can if you can exploit it, and that's probably one of the you know the bigger questions is these are only weaknesses if you can actually make them materialise on the on the on, on the pitch. But making Bowden Bard, making McKenzie at fifteen to, to make them control the game, make them steer it, make them make tactical decisions in real time. That's that's a real that's a real skill that they don't practice very well when they're playing on the front foot. You know they're so far ahead of everybody else, but this is a this is a, a skill that Ireland has, I would say, a considerable advantage in if they can if they can level the playing field. Gav, what uh, what are our selection issues now? Conor Murray. Mm-hmm. So I think they'll as the Irish team camp should get their arms around this today and go, yeah, he's trained, he's playing or not. Um, otherwise, it's the second row thing. Like, I actually, I kind of regret doing it, but I was we were writing up our teams and I said Ian Henderson's going to get dropped from the squad because Dev Toner needs to be on the pitch just because of what the All Blacks did to the English line-out and because of the restarts Ireland are, looked a little shaky Kieran Reid thunders up like with his kamikaze run to win back balls all the time just Dev Toner settles our set piece which is going to be so important otherwise I think a lot of the team picks itself now Ringrose comes back if Aki probably gets keeps 12 because Henshaw's injured that's it really you know just Dev Toner comes in and yeah, I think Ian Henderson misses out that uh, Jerry, there's no, no. I'd st- say Ian Henderson will make the match day squad. Uh, no, Ty Byrne. No, I don't think Ty Byrne will make the twenty-two. You'll bide your time. I could be wrong, but that's the way I think. Um, I think Dev Dev Toner has to start just for Rory Best's peace of mind. Rory Best's <laughs> position is under threat. It's just a little the bit. Other lad, yeah, the other sure. hookers, Cronin and Scannell haven't and done enough. But he, 
He's struggling at 36 to make the World Cup. It would be surprised to see Conor Murray start, given he hasn't played a game for five months, then come in cold to play the All Blacks, but I wouldn't rule it out. Well, Steve Hansen picked him, so. <laughs> well, I know what, it's pretty clear the subtext of what Steve Hansen's doing. I read your piece this morning, Gavin. He brought it up unprompted two minutes in, yeah. and the clear subtext is you ain't good enough to beat us without him, so he better play. Yeah, he's great, isn't he? That's clearly the subtext there. And I think. Uh, Rob Carney comes back in as well. Yeah, he has to. Full like Larmer made mistakes. He let the ball bounce in his dead ball area. Schmidt actually defended him on that. And he, Mar- and he and like he his first carry, he's so good he dances himself into trouble, you know. Midfield oh. would be interesting if if Aki Henshaw Ringrose were all fit. It would be the thing that nearly the first time that Joe's had to make a call on this. And I think it's just about Henshaw and Ringrose, but Bundyaki is pushing, knocking really hard in the door. I mean, it's not a, it's not a fait accompli because Bundyaki's running game is just so dynamic, so powerful. He, he was the one player apart from apart from James Ryan that looked like he'd consistently get you over the game, like really make good yardage in contact. What's Gordon, Gordon, just on the Conor Murray thing, the the idea of playing your first match after five months away against New Zealand, like it. Is that is that doable? Would is it advisable? I think you got to put it into context. Like Conor Murray is not only Ireland's best scrum half; he's like he's the best scrum half in the world at the moment. So we've seen this time and time again with say Johnny when he takes you know two three months, has come back from injuries, drops in, and plays and plays well. Mm-hmm. I think Conor is equally able to do that. So if he's fit, he plays. For me, it's it's a no brainer. The other three scrum halves all have incredible virtues and they're all very have brilliant aspects to their game but the gap between them and Connor is substantial so if he's fit he plays and remember it's not like he's coming in to carry the team he's coming in to enhance it so he's not doesn't have any more extra responsibilities other than he's used to and when he does his responsibilities he does them better than anybody else in the world so yeah, like, you know, you're talking maybe a little bit of confidence around tackling, but I'm sure he's done that if he's going to play. So, yeah, I, I, I don't see it being that big a deal. Is there any major selection problems that you see, Gordon, or do you think Joel just obviously he tends to work it out quite well, but is the midfield or is there anything that you'd like to see? Nah, like, I think the, the you know, it, the, how, do you, how do you play with those? You'd, you'd like to get those three guys on the field, um, but you can't. Um, Mm. The question is how do you how do you use them? What's the best uh, what's the best using of those of that resource? And it's you know it's a you know the result will kind of almost tell you if it was right or, or right or not. I'm sure there was a um, a plan into this and um, Aki well I suppose um, Addison uh, playing at 13 um, didn't help that case. So I'd say you know given that Henshaw hasn't played and has a hamstring injury that could actually work against him. So the selection may not be in his. Um, you know, may not be in his favour, and you know that's sometimes the way Joe kind of looks at these things. And it's interesting talking about the Larmore thing there, and he wouldn't chastise him in the uh, for let the ball bounce. Um, that's the kind of coach he is. It's like uh, no way you'd be publicly having a uh, saying anything other than positive positive notes about a you know a 22 or 21 year old. Except and, for uh, Levy, he sometimes he only the only person he ever has a pot on is Levy. <laughs> but I think that's because uh, maybe well, it could yeah, be Levy's it's character it's or what do you want? Different different characters, and that's the emotional yeah. side mm-hmm. of the coach that we have. I think that's probably something that doesn't get a virtue. He doesn't get an awful lot of airtime is how he's able to tailor the message for the individual. And some some lads need a kick. Some lads need a shoulder around the uh, arm around the shoulder and other lads need a carrot. So he really does know his players and that's a really that's really important. And that'll that will factor into the decision and you know, we can look at it from the outside and we can go, you know, in my head, in my, you know, coaching scenario, this is who I'd pick. 
but you know he knows those guys you know he's seen them on the pitch their energy levels all those things they factor in and we never get an insight into them we just have to you know, listen afterwards and then go, oh, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> it happens all the time, yeah. Jerry, uh, obviously, uh, you know, very early in the week for predictions, but, you know, tough shit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what do you think? Where's your money going, more importantly? Ah, uh, it's a tough one. You want to see the teams, wouldn't you? If you see Conor Murray in the team, it, it, it shifts it's the goalposts slightly. It's a big, it's a big win on the Argentinian handicap on the weekend. No, I didn't. After selling everybody, they should do. I mean, you and I are saying <laughs> so it. You don't have excess cash now. No, I don't. Heavy then, no. That plus eighteen was a good bet. I think that. Uh, but it's funny you mentioned Conor Murray because, like, in 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 the NFL, when there's a doubt over one of the team's quarterbacks, mm. uh, the book the bookies don't put out a spread mm. until they know who's going to be yeah. playing. Yeah, it's, it's kind of the Conor Murray thing is 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 absolutely pertinent there. Yeah, know? I checked the odds yesterday, and the All Blacks are six point favourites, six Whoa. points in the handicap. If I had to had to had to have a bet at those odds, I'd probably go Ireland, even though the All Blacks are undoubtedly the best team in the world, and they're back to back world champions, and they've got the brilliance of Bowden Barrett and Dame McKenzie on a dry day and on driving the Aviva. If Ireland, England had two loose kicks in the game. Mm. One went to Bowden Barrett when he was filling in at fullback, and he countered, got them on the front foot. Mackenzie makes a half break, a little offload on the inside, and Aaron Smith gets the ball away to Artie Surveya. New Zealand probably win that game by 12 or 15 points. And another one, uh, there was another uh, counter attack. Oh, yeah, when they went for a chip over the top to Kieran Reid, and the ball's in the air. And Mackenzie's already on the charge from fullback, and he gets and he screams for the offload, pops the ball, re pops the ball to him, and he goes straight through. Mm. And but for Owen Farrell's covering tackle, and what a tackler he is for a ten. That's actually they would have won by twenty five points, and that was in a wet, horrible night in Twickenham, and that was the only two loose kicks they got in the entire match. So clearly, if Murray's fit, I'd say Joe would have a huge temptation to blame because the, the kicking game would be so imperative, and Johnny's kicking game will be a lot better next Saturday. The other fact, I, the other thing is they've got to put Bowden Barrett under huge pressure. Just give him as little time as possible. The Lions did that in the second and third test, and you know they made it. They, that was the key, really, in them getting back in that series. If they can do that at home, the atmosphere is going to be magnificent. You know, the, for once an Irish crowd will turn up early because they always do because the Hakka. Um, so the atmosphere will be electric. Um, and Schmidt has been plotting this one. Mm. You know that twelve of the players were stayed back in Carton House with him. Well, he didn't come out to Chicago until the Thursday. He hinted that McKenzie so, won't be playing because of the aerial stuff. Yeah, uh, that yeah, did he? England targeted McKenzie. So, but does that mean then that Barrett goes to fifteen and you don't see Hardly. Um, Richie, Richie Moonga ten and play a real test match? Yeah. Test match? I'd, I'd, I'd be surprised to see, but it's not. It's it's probably how they're going to finish the game. It's how they've been finishing the game since they lost to South Africa. Moonga sees them out and Barrett with Barrett at fullback. Then if McKenzie doesn't start, who starts at fifteen? Then I'd say Ben Smith. Yeah, Ben Smith. When, and when they made that switch on Saturday against England and Twickenham, they never looked like scoring again. Mackenzie was by some distance the most elusive, dangerous runner on the pitch. It's like he's running on a different surface from everybody else. And not the first time I've said that watching him. He went off after an hour and I think the most defenders beaten by anybody in the pitch was two. He'd beaten 11. Yeah, Dar said, you said it last week, they don't know their best team, which is so rare, isn't mm. it? Well, yeah, well, it, well it, it comes down to what they're what they're trying to achieve. Like if if they like, and I, I hope they do play um, Barrett at, at ten because one of the things if he's only going to get three shots at goal uh, from six penalties, you know, there's this good chance he's not going to get any of them. So that's going to play into the uh, that's going to play into the into the Irish hands. Like if you've got a sixty percent play ticker um, in a in a game that's going to be won on tight margins. You know, I, I I like that from an Irish perspective. Uh, and uh, what do you make of it, Gordon? If you if you had to be uh, plump for one side or the other, um, 
yeah, it's funny. Like if we had a better performance against Argentina, you'd probably be a little bit more cocksure today. But um, all these things have have a funny way of uh, of, of you know it's a lot more confident going into the Argentina week, and then now suddenly you're like, okay, well, we didn't click so well. But I think the players coming in the week um, the week that they've had in it, I think there is an opportunity here for Ireland. Um, I think they do need to take this. And this is going to be a next step. We talked about uh, Sexton um, during the Six Nations when he was talking about winning that that drop goal in, in France. There is a bigger plan here. We're just not we're not aware of it. Um, so this is this has been targeted, I think, from earlier in the year. So um, yeah, I think there's going to be a there's going to be a resolve in there to win it. I think Ireland will pick it. Excellent. Well, listen, it's going to dominate the landscape all week. You two will be uh, uh, working like Trojans all week. Uh, we do Saturday, every week. Saturday can't come quick enough. Uh, thanks a million, lads. Thank you, Gordon. Cheers. And thanks, everybody. Cheers. In the paper on Saturday, Michael Walker had a fantastic piece looking back at uh, the 25th anniversary of... One of the most famous nights in Irish football and Northern Irish football, um, the qualifier in Windsor Park in 1993 for the World Cup. Uh, Michael is on the line and Emmett Malone is in with us to chat about it. Michael, um, what really struck me uh, from the piece uh, and actually thinking about this game over the years, when you think about it, it's such such a mad confluence of events that came together for this this game to happen you know for for both countries to be drawn together in the first place for them to the fixture to go down to the last match for them to have to play in Windsor Park in the last game and then for it to happen like 2 weeks after Grey Steel and 3 weeks after the Shanker Road bombing it's such a it's almost kind of mind blowing in retrospect that that it all came to a head like this it is, uh, and the first element of, of what you said there is that you would you would have thought that, given the situation um, politically, that UEFA might have rigged the draw so yeah. that the two the two didn't meet. You know, you would have thought that, but actually they didn't, and to the extent that they were then drawn in the next um, European qualifiers yeah. together. Yeah. You know, so the you know so. One year, one year, um, almost to the day after '93, um, they're meeting again at Windsor Park. You know, so that wasn't the last um, game of the the um, group, obviously, which had heightened things. But mm. yeah, it is just um, amazing when you look at those all of those events coming together, and obviously, you know, the most important of those events was the, you know, the. Uh, the trouble, uh, you know, that went on beforehand, and or are euphemistically called trouble, yeah. um, uh, and that the 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 tone that that set all over Ireland was just it was just like a blanket, wasn't it? And it was just just horrendous, absolutely horrendous. And whenever you go back and read about it, you just feel. Really, really, it actually does affect your reading, but it make you, makes you feel really low, you know. And um, uh, and when you read in detail about, uh, if you, you know, if you if you ever read Lost Lives, it's just an amazing book, mm. and um, it, it it just has this level of sort of um, reportage and detail that is really. Um, it's it's every day, you know. It's the everyday um, details of of murders, and it's just so awful. It's interesting, um, Michael. I don't, I, you know, I don't know if um, 
if you've seen, I, I've been watching a, a TV show recently, I don't know if anybody else has been watching it, called uh, Pop Goes Northern Ireland. And it's on... A bit. It's reeling back the years. For, it, it's, for it's, the North, yeah. it's reeling back the years for the Troubles, essentially. Yeah, okay. And it's uh, on, on BBC Two, I think on like a Wednesday night. And um, I was just talking about it earlier. And it, it is harrowing, yeah. absolutely harrowing to look at, like they take, say, 1976 or 1983 or whatever, and like overlay it, exactly with Reeling in the Years, yeah. overlay it with, with the music of the Without time. Without the oddball, quirky, you know, period pieces. Yeah. Because, because what could you put in ahead of, 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 of so many of the things that happened? And it was just the daily drudgery, the daily... War, and all this stuff, that all these little incidents that, that you forget. And the thing that really kind of struck me reading your piece on Saturday, Michael, was to... To put a football match into the middle of this, it's a, it's a, a, yeah, it's almost amazing that they that they act, the game was actually played there. Well, you can understand why why people didn't want it to be played because um, a it must have felt. I mean, it, it sort of feels inappropriate now, but imagine how inappropriate it felt then. Mm. You know um, that. In the, in the midst of all this, then you start planning. The, the thing that struck me again, just in researching it, is is that it isn't just the, it isn't just the, the murders that were going on. It's then the, you have the aftermath, you have the funerals, mm. you know, and all of that is 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 dominating the news and dominating the you know your way of life. And um, to then, as you say, have this enormous football match absolutely enormous football match and even if it if it hadn't been the Republic of Ireland going to Northern Ireland to, to needing to qualify it could have been Spain or Denmark it would have been huge for those countries as well mm. you know because it's the last game so it has that sport intention um, but then it is the Republic of Ireland so it's it just goes up you know several levels um, and because of the way the because of the nature of identity uh, surrounding the Northern Ireland football team and the supporters um, and some of the players and how it's perceived, that that just um, added, you know, added obviously levels of layers upon layers to it. Emmett, you were a nascent uh, Irish Times uh, mm. superstar back in those days. Right, uh, yeah. You know. Uh, the world hadn't been. Oh, no, I burnt you, brightly, uh, <laughs> and then out. Yeah. Um, can you remember what it was like to? I, I know you covered the the the, game, the, the opposing game, game yeah, over yeah, in yeah. Seville while this was happening in Windsor Park. But do you remember the atmosphere around the build-up to? Well, it yeah, yeah, I do. I do a little bit. I mean, it's funny. I was kind of thinking when I was reading Michael's piece the other day. There was quite a few things in it I, I, I didn't remember, but I do remember the atmosphere and the build-up to it. And I remember people from here talking about going up and the sense that that the game would wouldn't go ahead or not go ahead in Windsor. Park, there was a, a sense that that it would be moved or postponed, or um, and uh, and I remember like we've had incidents since with the. I mean, we had a game moved from Georgia mm. to uh, to Mainz, and and we had uh, oh, well, we we had a couple of things, haven't we, where we've gone away and managers have sort of you know commented on the the, the, the security situation, mm. or whatever, and it's felt kind of comical, you know, the the Mainz one Absolutely. was cheap, yeah. and yeah, 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 I think we 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 embarrassed ourselves there by by pressing for that game to be uh, to be moved. But on, on this occasion, there were people, reporters, who were really genuinely hesitant about, you know, going up there. And there was this sense that, that 
you know, something terrible could happen. Um, and because I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm not arguing with the decision at all, but because of um, of the decision not to let away fans at the game as well, that the, you know, I mean, which was absolutely right in crowd management terms, or whatever, but it added to the the kind of sense of siege uh, from the point of view of the players and the, the media who went up, yeah. who were just bust in and bust out, and it was it was a remarkable um, atmosphere around it, and, and, and you know, people were, you know, I, I remember, I mean, a jokey sort of way because God knows we joked our way mm. through a lot of, of that time you know um, um, but I remember joking as I hopped on the plane to Seville that uh, that that you know this was uh, this was the handier option here yeah. you know I was rather happy to be heading south because um, and, 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 and it was such a remarkable occasion that in a sporting sense yeah. I obviously wish I'd been there but yeah. um, but at the time I, I, I didn't have too many regrets about yeah. uh, missing the trip It's really striking Michael uh, you spoke to Niall Quinn and, and Jim Magilton, Jim Magilton uh, for your piece really striking actually um, how how players compartmentalise you know, how, yeah. how how Jim Magilton was, you know, all, almost, now, not quite, but almost came off talking about, you know, it was, uh, you know, it was obviously a big game for us. You know, they, like, he was yeah. able, to, able yeah. to talk to you about it almost strictly on football terms. Well, he, he, he is and, and he isn't, you know. Mm. You, you know, uh, what struck me whenever I spoke to Jimmy Quinn last year was um, whenever I was interviewing him, was that he had this really remarkable background um, uh, with his family in Rathcool. Now, Rathcool is sort of perceived as a Protestant state, you know, uh, now. Um, for him to go up there and then to leave it and then to have his brothers in the British Army and to go to Swindon and all of that. And then he, you know, he did complain. He said they did, the, within the Northern Ireland squad, they did complain to themselves and amongst each other about the authenticity of, uh, like, Tony Cascarino or whoever it was. Mm. And that, to me, that's really... Now, Jim Magilton didn't feel that as much. He, But it is interesting that some of them did feel that. Jim said, like, you know, well, we had Kingsley Black on the, you know, on the, uh, on the bench. We had Ian Derry coming into the team. You know, so it was at the, begin- the very beginning of that. So... Jim has uh, has that awareness, but yeah, you know, he was he he was saying like, you know, I'm I'm a footballer. I'm trying to be a footballer. You know, this was someone who had gone to Liverpool as a young player, who knew Ray Houghton and John Aldridge from Liverpool in the days when there was only one sub, so he didn't break through. But he was, you know, he was a tremendous midfielder, Jim Magilton, oh, a really yeah. good pass of the ball, mm-hmm. and today would would make it at those clubs because because you have six subs and you would get a chance. <clears throat> Um, but you know, he so he was then trying to you know restart his career, if you know what I mean, and try and get established. And so it did mean something to him in a football sense. And he also, what is striking about his football perception of it is that it goes back to how badly he played in the previous game in Dublin, and that's what he he was really bothered about. That you know, yeah. he's still bothered about that. that was you know, the same, yeah. 20, 25 and a half years on, he's bothered about how badly he played in that match. Can I ask you, Michael, yeah. I, I was sort of struck by that that stuff. I, I think you were talking about, it was Jimmy Quinn, I think you were saying, didn't believe himself. I mean, I, I hadn't remembered or realised, I certainly hadn't remembered that Northern Ireland didn't recognise the, the granny rule. Um, 
and uh, that Jimmy Quinn thing that, that you were suggesting that he agreed with that line that he wouldn't that that he oh, did. Yeah. I found that remarkable from players who essentially all had to leave their their country to to go to England to play and the idea yeah. that they would have kids born in England and they might have kids born in England and they would they would themselves believe that those peop those those kids wouldn't be allowed to play for Northern Ireland. I found remarkable. I mean, it, this is essentially the thing about Irish the Irish football community is that it's a it's a, a community of immigrants, you know. And um, and for some some of those to come out against those rules allowing children or to to or grandchildren to play for the country of their origin just seems amazing to me, really. Yeah, but it, it is in one sense. Um, a community of immigrants, but it, it, in the other sense, that if you're, if you're, say you're Billy Bingham and yeah. you're born in Belfast and your parents are born in Belfast, you grew up thinking, you know, you're from Belfast and your team is called Ireland. Yeah. Whenever Billy Bingham made his debut in 1948, Northern Ireland were called Ireland, mm. and they and the Irish Football Association clung on to that. That mattered to people of Billy Bingham's generation. My father was in in, sure. in that generation. And played against Billy Bingham in the Irish League. But they all called. They, I never once yeah. heard them called Northern Ireland. Um, Northern Ireland called them Ireland. They, that generation called. And so I, I think that's them, a slightly different issue, though, in a way. I mean, like I have friends who live in London, and their kids, their their kids have grown up with London accents, you know. But I, I think yeah, the idea yeah. that those those people, though my friends, my generation, would say that those kids shouldn't be allowed to play for the Republic of Ireland would be astonishing. Not that they would force them to, or that you know we would kind of you know have these situations going on at the moment with Declan Rice and the like, where people have yeah. are conflicted and have, have choices to make or whatever. But I find it amazing that that some of the players themselves would believe that you know. Oh, you should be born there. That 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 is a kind of part a uh, prerequisite of playing for the country. Well, that, that I'm just saying that that's how they. That, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Clearly, how how an element of them felt, and that isn't just your Protestant element. You know, that isn't you know that isn't your unionist element doing that. You know, yeah. there were um, Northern Catholic nationalists who felt like that. I'm Jimmy Quinn's one. So you know, it's it's just it, it, it was. That's what I say. There was that. There, maybe it was just because. There was so much um, fuss made at the time of Italian Enti and Euro 88 about the players Jack Jordan was bringing yeah, in yeah, yeah, yeah. that 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 irked you know people and that that um, and then you have ten ten lads born you know uh, uh, in the north who are going to play that that's a kind of different it, it mm. gives that team a different sense of itself I suppose. Sure. Michael, um, as for, for you, you referenced it there uh, briefly earlier on. They did play against each other a year later, and and have played plenty of times since. And you know, obviously, the sort of the poison has been drained from from the whole situation to to a great extent. Um, but we sit here in the week of a of a, an Ireland Northern Ireland game, and yes. there's. You know, it's 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 a different world we're talking about now. You know, there's it's a far different stakes are so much lower. The teams are aren't a patch on what they were back then. It it seems almost kind of uh, odd to be talking about a game between the two countries this week, twenty five years after after such a dramatic thing. Yeah. Um... I do think it obviously it's obviously it's a, a different landscape, but I, I'm unfortunately one of those one of those people who who whenever I'm a Belfast, I, I I just don't. There is there is an absence of conflict, but I I always think that to call it peace is is a bit different. Of if course, you, if you're there, it's a different 
you know, they still segregate the education. You know, let's, you know, there's still, whenever you play football, you know, whenever I played football, you played in the Church's League. You didn't, you, these were, you know, <clears throat> the, the leagues were divided by religion. And it's, it's still going on. The society is still a segregated society. So it's, um, it, it, it is very different. And it, it, that, what is brilliant is that there isn't, that kind of daily um, reporting of murders and attempted murders and bombs and shootings and all of that. So that that has gone, and that, and a generation has grown up with that, and hopefully will never know it. Um, but we, but you still have a divide. You still have a divided society, and you still have a divided Ireland, and you still have the border, and you still have two football teams. So the, so it it is still there. You know there is still there there is still tension, and I think, and I think there will be there will be tension on um, Thursday night. There may not be animosity and vitriol, certainly not of that level in '93, but there will you know they they both will want to win. Mm. Don't know if there'll be a whole pile of tension in the crowd on on Thursday night now. Yeah, I don't think there'll be a huge amount. I I, I agree with Michael completely there about about the, the the atmosphere in 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 Northern Ireland generally. I mean, I had a drink with with a guy I barely know on on Friday night, but he was talking about living down. He's from Belfast and living down here, and how he doesn't want to go back because yeah. because the the, the 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 you know the tensions on the ground up there because you know however much it has changed, however much improved it is. That um, that you know, living outside of the place is still very different, um, and that's and that's sad. Um, I don't think there'll be anything like. I, I mean, clearly, clearly, there won't be anything like the uh, tension. And we're no. still talking about that game twenty five years on, because of its context and because of the the the, the incredible um, uh, build up to it, and you know, and and, and obviously we're we're you know so much better off mm. without any of those things. Uh, we're playing a. A low-key friendly that really very few people will will care about. I mean, there will be yeah, absolutely. It's 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 a, a derby game. It has it has some of that. There will be a little bit more to it than Ireland playing Cyprus in a game on yeah. you know. But um, but it's uh, I think the so much of of what was negative about those things have have been drained out of it. And I think I, I think may, I'm sure Michael might well disagree with me here. I think it probably means less. To people south of the border than it does to people north of it. Yeah, that, that, no, that might that might mm. be correct. I think it might mean something to both associations. So just um, yeah, well, there was certainly there was given, certainly a, given the rise over eligibility. Yeah, there was certainly a thing a few years ago. Um, at one stage, I don't know what it was when Trapattoni was in charge. That one of the final straws was us dropping below Northern Ireland in the world rankings. <laughs> uh, yeah, right? for, for, for John Delaney, that uh, that, he, that that he choked on his cornflakes one morning as the, as the new ranking list came out, and uh, and that was that was uh, Trap uh, one 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 more step closer to the door. Delaney, oh, Delaney eats cornflakes, does he? Yeah, that's right, gold plated ones. <laughs> Listen, thanks very much, guys. Thanks a million, Michael. Uh, thanks to uh, thank you, uh, Jerry and. Gordon who we had earlier talking about the rugby thank you Gav no problem and Declan behind the desk and we'll see everybody next week cheers folks